This is episode 95 of Just Because the Human Experience podcast. My guest was Sarah Tyree. She is the state senate candidate for LD22 here in Arizona. This was really cool talking to her because she's just a genuine person. She's not trying to be fake. She's not trying to put on a show. And I was really excited to find out what makes someone want to run for public office. What would push them to do that? And I found myself relating to some of the stuff she was saying in her past. And this was a lot of fun to do, just have this conversation with her. You could find more information on her at Tyree, that's T-Y-R-E-E, 2020.com. You could find her on Instagram too, at Tyree underscore four underscore Senate 2020. You could also donate if you want. The donation information is on her website. And that's pretty much it. Enjoy. I just moved the chair as I said that. Wow. Real good. running for Senate and yeah. LD22, right? Yes. Okay, thank cool. You. Google did not lie to me. Um, <laughs> and just for people who don't know where uh, LD22 is, where would that be? For sure. So LD22 covers um, North Glendale, North Peoria, Surprise, Sun City West, Sun City Grand, um, and then portions of Waddell and Whitman. So we're in the far northwest portion of Maricopa County. Okay. And have you always lived in that area? I haven't. So I moved out to Surprise in... 2018 i think um but i am originally from arizona yeah why are we still here it's too hot we need to go (laughs) it's terrible you know it's interesting though because i so i left in 2005 okay um i joined the army right out of high school and i promised myself i would never move back to arizona and this is like my third time back so yeah obviously there's something bringing you back do you have a lot of family here um, so I do have family here. I'm not super close to my family of origin, but um, I have two younger brothers here, and their father's side of the family's here, and you know, so I mean, there are people here, but um, I don't know. I think it's just Arizona as a whole that just called me back. Yeah, and with with being deployed, what are some of the different, uh, I guess, cultural aspects from Phoenix to other places you've been? Yeah, so interesting, well, I guess, speaking to deployment, when I deployed, so I deployed to Iraq in 2006. For me, mentally, I guess, surviving that was kind of like thinking about being homesick group in Maryville. You know, by the time I was 13, I had had pistols pointed at both sides of my head, mm-hmm. had been in the middle of gang fights, and so when I got to Iraq, it was just kind of like, this looks like Phoenix. It's hot like Phoenix. Yeah. I'm still getting shot at like I was in Phoenix, except now I'm getting paid for it. Yeah. You know, and really like mentally that was what kept me, I don't know, I guess mentally safe while over there. But culturally speaking, as far as like other places that I've lived, it's very interesting because Phoenix is such a melting pot. Yeah. Um, people come from all over the country, from all over the world to live in Phoenix, you know, because we're a festival state. We have sunny skies year Mm -hmm. round but there's not really like substantial culture if that makes sense whereas like say like i so i lived in nashville and nashville is not only full of like history but it's the music city you know of the country um and and it's just full and rich of of music history and music culture and military history versus um let's see I, U- I lived in utah as well also completely different mm-hmm. and and there it was just like eight hour drive i didn't know it could be so different than phoenix you yeah. know it's so i think just every place has has their own i don't know like their own little niche i guess yeah yeah you brought up how you're not um close or uh, with your family of origin i like how you put that and i was just talking with I came, I came from uh, therapy right before this, mm-hmm. so I'm just freshly in that. But I was talking about my, my lack of a bond with my blood family. Uh, and so I, I really look for it in my friends. Did you feel that always growing up? Or where do you look for your bonds as far as that, that social, that familial 
relationship? For sure. So um, I have a few friends that have been with me since very young ages. Um, my best friend, she and I have known each other since we were two. Wow. Um, right. And so that's like 30 that's, years yeah. of friendship. That's super rare. Yeah. Um, and her family essentially is my family, right? Um, and I have some friends that I've known since fourth grade and another that he and I joined the army together. Uh, and then another friend who we met on deployment and are mm-hmm. still friends 14 years later. So I think most of my family ties come from people that I have really long lasting relationships with. Kind of jumping back and forth through time, but what kind of kid were you? Because I, uh, I guess for people to listen, I'm, I'm the goofball. I was always a goofball. I was the class clown in, in every single grade. What were you? Who, who did you embody? I think it depends on the setting, but for the most part, I think I was the protector. Okay. Um, I'm the oldest of three, and I kind of came from not just poverty, but I came from an abusive household. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I just kind of felt like it was my responsibility to take the brunt of those things. But in school, it, it seemed like it was the opposite. I was more shy and introverted and kind of like got picked on a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, just very night and day, you know. But I don't know, I think I was just mostly like the protector and, yeah. and knowing that somehow, some way, like I just needed to, to do better and get out of that situation. And I hope you don't mind me go to this part. But um, so I, I came up in a, an abusive house. My dad was yeah. very abusive. And I'm, I'm noticing now which is why i think mental health is is really important but um all these little uh, habits or tendencies i have that i could string all the way back to oh it's because Mm -hmm. i beat the crap out of us or whatever Mm -hmm. um have you noticed anything or um have worked on anything over time that you have figured out goes to that part of your life for sure so Um, I think the biggest thing for me is like being abandoned Mm. Um, and that plays out in so many areas right it could be like a romantic relationship a platonic relationship even business like well maybe one day somebody is less excited to talk to me than normal and so you kind of just like internalize that and like what did I do wrong you just have this like self-blaming right and so I think like today I'm still working on those things but like you and I appreciate you talking about being in therapy because it's so important for for people to understand that therapy is normal and it's healthy um, and it's needed Um, so I have probably spent a better portion of my life in therapy as well and I think more recently interestingly I am seeing a hypnotherapist oh okay super dope yeah super dope um so we spend the first hour like doing talk therapy and then we spend the second hour doing like hypnotherapy if there are certain things that i want to work on and so we've really been working on like you know understanding that even if somebody decides that they want to walk away or somebody is having a bad day like i don't need to take responsibility for that and um you know it's fine if if they want to go away and come back that's okay i'm gonna survive either way right but um I would say probably like abandonment is probably one of the biggest ones. I'm also yeah. super cold. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think in like in an attempt to like protect myself and my vulnerability vulnerability, I if I start sensing people are, you know, like getting ready to hurt me or they're gonna do something that, that I find might be hurtful, then I'm just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You're gonna go from being in my inner circle to like 10 removed, right? Or, or yeah. it might just cut you off. Yeah, yeah. No problem cutting people off either. Yeah. I need to, <laughs> I need to figure that skill out because I'm very, no, please talk to me. What's the matter? And it's because uh, my parents did not talk to each other. So what are feelings? Yeah. So uh, I had to figure that out um, the hard way. Um, and what, can I ask what uh, drove you to join the military? For sure. Um, interestingly enough, my mother put me in the Young Marines as a punishment. Okay. And I loved it. Um, and then so when I got into high school, I ended up joining um, JROTC. Yeah. And me and the Army just went, like, hand in hand, like, glove in hand, and it was it was awesome. And so um, I kind of just knew at that point, like, this is something that was meant for me. But also I felt like... If my brothers ever needed me, 
I would have that stability, right? Okay. Like, I'm going to have a place to stay. I'm going to have, like, steady income and so on and so forth. So, like, if they ever needed me, I would be able to, to provide for them. So Yeah. What do you think it was that, that drew you um, to it? Because, it, again, it sounded like it just fits so easily. Yeah. Um, and I... Um, so I do theater, and but I didn't get to it until freshman year of college, like senior year of high school, and I wished I had it the whole time. And what about that military lifestyle kind of clicked with you mentally? Yeah. And it sounded like pretty young. Yeah. Um, I think part of it was a structure. Okay. Because I didn't have any of that home. My mother was kind of like, you know, do whatever you want. I don't care. Just be out of my way. Yeah. And so I think having that structure, but also... I think that was really like the first time where I had a group of people who were always there. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, like maybe we don't agree and we fight, but like the next day we're friends again, right? Or my teachers were really supportive to me and I think they kind of understood what I was going through at home. So they tried their best to support me like within the space that they were allowed to. Mm-hmm. And so I think it really just kind of gave me that camaraderie or that familyhood that I was like looking for. Yeah. And, and that's what drew me in yeah did you experience um because i have a friend a few friends in the military my my father-in-law was also in the military um so it's always interesting to kind of see where everybody's stories come from did you experience a lot of sexism or um even as as a woman of color um in this very quote-unquote masculine you got to be tough uh Mm -hmm. this is only for men whatever the history of it is did you experience any of that for sure and it's, it's funny that you're bringing that up because I was literally just having a conversation with somebody about oh. this prior to getting here. Um, so it, to me, that just means that the universe is ready for us to talk about it, right? Yeah. Uh, so I joined when I was 17, and I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And when I got to my base and was in processing, the person who was giving us their speech, basically, or your welcoming speech, was like, hey, if you're of any color other than white... You do not go in these neighborhoods uh, past dark. They Whoa. don't care that you're a soldier. KKK is alive. They will kill you. And, like, so I'm looking around like, this guy has to be kidding. Like, yeah. Absolutely was not. Like, that was a thing, you know? And, and on top of that, um, this was back in 2005, so it was still really segregated. And we didn't have... Um, don't ask, don't tell repealed yet. And so for me and for a lot of other people who are LGBTQ, like you don't talk about those things and you don't get to be who you are because, Mm. you know, your military is the way of life and this is what provides for you. And so you don't, you don't talk about being gay or you don't talk about being lesbian, you know? And so it was really hard. And then on top of that, you have a structure, as you said, that's very male dominant. And if you um, are sexually assaulted, there's not really protection for you, right? And so if you look at statistics today, um, women are the fastest growing group in the military, but they also suffer from like 90% of like military sexual trauma. And so I experienced that multiple times during my career. And I think I finally just got to a point where it was like, you know what, like, the military doesn't value me the same way I value it and it refuses to protect me so it's time for me to move on but even then I, I had a direct supervisor who was essentially stalking me and showing up in my room in the middle of the night and, and calling me and all these things and when I finally spoke to somebody about it um, they did an internal review which I didn't know was internal at the time and that means it doesn't go really anywhere big okay well he has to stay 500 feet away from you okay so when he's following me out to my car and he's threatening me and you guys don't do anything about it you tell me that I have to go to uh, counseling and then I get diagnosed with anxiety because who doesn't get anxiety from (laughs) being sexually harassed by their supervisor right and so it's just kind of like this is ridiculous like nothing happened to that person and at the time um, if you have um, any like mental health issues you get kicked out yeah. because we weren't where we are today where we understand that people are people and they have you know mental health issues but back then no 
you're gonna get kicked out if you you have um, anxiety or depression on your record. It was just a lot, like everything yeah. intersects and, and it's hard. I think today, now that I've been out for so long, the military doesn't see us as human beings. They just see us as bodies. Mm -hmm. And you're a body that we can deploy or you're a body that we can send here, right? So they don't really care about what's going on with us as people. It's just, can you perform? Cool, we'll keep you. If not, it's time for you to go. And that's that's really it. That is heartbreaking. That's, it is. There was a lot of the whole thing about... Um, uh, soldiers who are trans and then it, it's just basically can they do the job why not just let them serve and it, it's just crazy we keep jumping around to if 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 you have anxiety you can't do it mm -hmm. and it, it's oh that's so baffling to me yeah that's so strange so you've been back for some time right you, yep. um how how was the transition back to i guess just being a Civilian. Civilian. Yeah, it yeah. was hard. Yeah, it was super hard. Um, so I left active duty in um, 2008, but I was still in the reserves and still attached. So even that transition from active duty to reserve was really hard because they're very different. Mm -hmm. um, the mentality is very different, and so like moving into being a civilian was just kind of like I don't even know what to do with myself, right? Yeah. Because you go from being told this is what you're wearing. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing and, and at what time and for how long to if you show up, you show up. Yeah. If you do your work, you do your work, right? Like all that structure immediately was taken away. But also you have to learn to unlearn what the military taught you okay. and then like reprogram yourself to be a human being because the military, as much as I love it and I'm thankful for the time that I spent there, it's very much filled with hate and propaganda and, and the things that they teach you about brown people, specifically Muslim people, right? And the values of far right, I'm not even going to just say conservative, but far right leaning um, mindset. It's just unhealthy. Yeah. And so really, I think moving into a space of um, being a civilian and being a social worker at that is very different than the military and it was really hard yeah. I think probably like the first three years I really suffered from um, depression because I didn't know what to do with myself and I didn't have that guidance and that structure anymore mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot of veterans that go through that yeah. um, so Arizona is home to over 600,000 veterans Yeah, we have the highest veteran population um, within the country and I personally think it's because Arizona looks a lot like our deployment areas, mm -hmm. right? So you go to the desert and you're being shot at and you're getting blown up and all of these things. And this looks like that. So if it was comfortable, mm -hmm. while at the same time, it exacerbates that PTSD, right? And so we have a lot of veterans that we need to take care of. Yeah. Why do you think it is that you know, because it, it'll pop up in the news stories every once in a while how um, just medical help or mental help for veterans or even just their benefits are getting cut or it's just non-existent at some points. Uh, how that, that seems like such a, a, a hypocritical thing when we put so much money into the military, but then we don't take care of the people when they come home. Do you any idea why or any? So or just. The money typically goes to the war front, right? Yeah. And we're always in constant battle, even if it's not like headlines like it used to be. Mm -hmm. We're always at war. So that's where most of the money goes. And speaking to like veteran health care or veteran mental health, um, and Arizona specifically has, has failed, you know, and we were national news for a while because we were doing so poorly at taking care of our veterans. Um, so when I returned to Arizona, I was leaving um, a domestic violence situation and I had been evicted for the violence and then lost my job and was just suffering like super PTSD. And it took the VA four months to schedule me a mental health appointment yeah. four months. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, so I ended up seeing my uh, general care doctor, and 
had a meltdown and, and that was the only way that I was able to see mental health. But that's unacceptable and, and right. even for somebody who at the time is experiencing, experiencing like, you know, serious mental health issues, but if I had been suicidal, then what? And thinking about all the veterans who are suicidal or who are homeless and don't have that access, mm-hmm. you know, this is why we have like 22 veterans a day committing suicide. Um, so one of the things that has happened under the Trump administration is that he says that veterans should have seamless care. And if the VA cannot provide care, then they should be able to get care from the community. However, it hasn't quite disseminated down, you know, into the field. And so one of my platforms is talking about veteran benefits and, and being able to see community providers. Um, and I, and I found out that the VA has a policy and it says if you cannot see your primary care doctor or mental health provider within 28 days, Mm -hmm. then you have the ability to ask to go out into the community. Yeah. But they never tell us those things. Oh my gosh. They never tell us like, hey, we don't have anything for two, three months from now. Um, do you want a community provider instead? They just say, this is what we have. Um, are you okay with this? And typically we say yes because we don't know. You don't, yeah. Right. They're, they're, we don't know that there are other options. And so that's how they get around referring out to the community. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the biggest things is that I want to make sure that veterans understand that if it's more than 28 days, you ask for that community provider mm-hmm. because there's no reason why we should be waiting that long. You know, if we had Medicare for all or if everybody had standard insurance, we wouldn't be waiting 10, 28 days. Yeah. We could just go next door to the next place, right? Right. So why is it any different for people who fought for you? Uh, so much ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, so many crazy. things just seems like it should be common sense or it should be just knowledgeable to just give to people and especially people um, who definitely earned it as far as serving the country. And you got <coughs> your master's in social work? Yes. Google. Good job, Google. Um, really? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go yes. Google myself. Um, and so what drew you to social work? Um, Especially because that was your major, right? No. Yeah, so yes. I have a bachelor's in, in in social work, a bachelor's in political science, and then my mm, bachelor's yeah. is also in social work. So what drew me to social work was that when I ended up in the system as a young person, I had a case manager who did not care about my safety. She didn't care about my needs. She didn't care about my wants. Um, she tore me away from the only people that I knew who would protect me and who would support me. And so I think I felt like if I wasn't going to be in the military, this is what I have to do because I'm going to right all of the wrongs that she did because I know I wasn't the only person she treated like that. And so it started out wanting to be the angel to her destruction. Mm -hmm. And now it's just, this is me. This is my life and this is my passion. And I love being able to impact people in a healthy and a positive way. And, and giving them that second chance. You know, people aren't just things that you throw away. Mm-hmm. They're people and their families and their lives. And it's important. It's such a, it's a blessing to be able to be the person that stands between them and, and DCS or mm-hmm. them and, you know, having their family torn apart. So, I don't know, I love it. That must weigh a lot mentally it to depends. be, see be a part of those people's stories and just just from like just a few minutes you, you seem very positive you seem at least pretty optimistic or you yeah i think it's that i think that's what i want to say uh how do you maintain that to just say to not go to well f the world it's it's all messed up anyway it's over like what what stops you from that i think part of it is being an empath you feel what other people feel, and that's real. But also, I think I just believe in humanity as a whole and believe that we are inherently good. And there might be like a few people who kind of like taint that, but still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a whole nother topic, right? Yeah. But, but I really think like you manifest everything that you think about and you manifest everything that you believe in and if you're if you're thinking negative things and if you're you're saying well 
you know, why is my life like this or whatever. Like, you're going to manifest that stuff. Your words are powerful. And so I think I just kind of got to a space where I was just like, you know what? Life could be a lot worse. Mm. And I know that there are a lot of people who are counting on me. Yeah, I'm going to have bad days, but ultimately, like, I have a responsibility, I think, to the world. And so I have to maintain some sort of um, healthy mindset and also know that, like, self-care is important. Yeah. You know, it was telling you, like, I, I have a regular therapist and I also have a hypnotherapist. And I watch a lot of anime. <laughs> so that makes me... Do not me... start <laughs> What anime do you... Wait a second. Yeah. What do you watch? Um, so I'm currently watching, um, obviously, My Hero. Mm-hmm. You cannot not watch My Hero. I'm not going to say anything. That I, <laughs> I want... It's on my list. I have not started it. What? We're canceling this. Um, oh my gosh. Just so I can catch up. I cannot. Okay, so that's one. Um, obviously, Naruto was one of my faves yeah. too. Um, fairy Tale was my top. Yeah. Nothing beats Fairy Tale. Um, I did enjoy Attack on Titan. I'm watching um, Demon Slayer right now, which I really like too. It's okay. newer. Toilet Bound Hanako? Hanako or something? It's a little different. I don't yeah, know. yeah. That's cool. That is awesome. I'm so excited. Um, uh, what draws you to anime then? Let's go there. Because that, that's a very specific... Because I remember when I was going to, to high school or whatever, and I would bring up Dragon Ball Z or One Piece, there'd be only a couple kids who knew what I was talking about. Um, maybe Dragon Ball Z more, but definitely One Piece, not too many people. And so what about anime do you... It sounds like you love. Uh, do, do you love, yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know, you know, and I've tried to get into One Piece, and I think I watched, like, one or two seasons, like, midway, uh-huh. probably, like, six or seven, I don't know, and I just, I don't know, I couldn't get into it. All right, this is over. No! Throw them up. But I think, um, so I also enjoy reading, and I enjoy reading, like, young adult books, like, typically about, like, um, metaphysical things. And it's kind of like a stress relief. Like, you're just yeah. taking yourself out of, like, everyday life and, like, living somewhere else, you know, for the time that you're reading. And then I think maybe in 2013, 2014, I, I dipped into anime. was like... Yes. Oh, and I had an awakening. It yes. was like, what have I been missing, you yeah. know? And so now I'm, like, back to back to back to back. Yeah. Um, and people are always surprised when I tell them, like, that's what I do. Like, yes, if I'm not out campaigning, I'm probably in my house, in my recliner, watching some anime. That sounds amazing. Uh, <laughs> I, so, yeah, I would watch a bunch. And, unfortunately, all the ones you named are on my list that I... Shame. I know. Do I'm, your box I, of shame. I'm gonna go right now. Um, and so, if you were to pick just one of those for me to go to first, man. Well, what kinds of things do you like? What genres do you like? That would help me narrow it down. Oh crap! Do you I mean like do you like suspense or do you like things that are funny or like? heart-wrenching things or yeah um i think definitely the story i think dragon ball z if you were to ask me like which was my favorite it would be a double answer where dragon ball z that's what i watched with my little brothers and that was one of the few times where uh, i wasn't getting beat my my dad or my parents were fighting me and my brothers just watching dragon ball z and it's pretty great but if you think about it it's just them fighting goku's always gonna win it's spoiler alert no um <laughs> like it there was a, i didn't feel like it was very deep whereas one piece i feel there's a lot of societal things and there's different characters from remember this guy from 30 episodes ago this is his son and now he's trying to get back and so it's a lot deeper so i, I think the intricate stuff obviously like action i heard attack on titan is really great I heard um, yes. my hero is amazing too. Um, yeah. So I feel I'm like so all sorry. the ones that I named are like all my favorites. Like my hero, um, it's not as drawn out as some of the other ones, mm-hmm. but also like I I think I wake up every this morning. As a matter of fact, I watched it before I got out of bed. I was like, oh my show's on. Yes, I'm gonna watch it. But yeah. um, Attack on Titan is propaganda filled. Yeah. Like. 
somebody told me about this before I started getting into politics, and I was like, that sounds super whack. Yeah. And then I actually watched it, and you have to watch all the way through to the credits because they leave little nuggets in there. Oh, and cool. I was like, did you just see that? Like, super intense. Attack on Time is great. But I think, um, I really, I don't know. I think Fairy Tale is still my favorite because there's, there's, so there's nine seasons mm-hmm. and it does from like start to finish. If it goes all the way back to the beginning and mm-hmm. it pieces everything together and it's just like, that's mind cool. blown, yeah. you know? Um, I think Fairy Tale is cool. my favorite. Awesome. Yeah. Now I'm stuck on this, and I don't know what we're talking about. No, um, and uh, with with my two year old son, when he was super tiny, because that's how growing up works, uh, I would watch One Piece when I'm trying to wa- uh, rock him, because he doesn't know. But now that he's starting to put language together, he gets fussy because he's like, I don't know what language this is. What are we watching? Subtitles. Yeah, and so I have I so I have the side. Yeah, and so uh, so that's a lot of fun. Um, what else do you do for um, self care? You know, you go to therapy, anime, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> what else do you do? Yeah. Well, is there anything you do if, say, you're out in the middle of the day and maybe you're feeling mentally or emotionally overwhelmed and you can't quite get to anime, right? You can't quite get to your your therapist what is something I guess quick you can do or a technique you have um sometimes I'll go for a walk okay um I also find a lot of comfort in my car mm-hmm. which is really weird because when I was younger you could not get me out of a car fast enough but oh. I find a lot of comfort in being in my car now um and I cry like crying yeah. is good it's a good release yeah um and so um I could be frustrated or I could just be like emotionally overwhelmed and if it comes it comes you know and I think I think when I was younger I would let people like oh you're so emotional and you're always crying and, and I would try to like block it mm-hmm. and I found myself being more angry and more aggressive and so now I'm like I don't yeah. care I'm crying yeah. I would rather cry than be aggressive I don't yeah. want to do any of that so yeah sometimes I just cry it's good for you I like that um, <laughs> now you're running for uh, Senate yeah when did you are you insane no uh, when, <laughs> I'm guessing yes, that I <laughs> I'm guessing that uh, keeps you very busy that's a giant step when did that click for you uh, that you wanted to do this? About 10 years ago. Okay. Um, so as a social worker, you have to intern. You have to have like that on-the-job experience, right? And so I had lost soldiers while I was in the Army. Mm-hmm. And emotionally, that was really hard for me. Um, so I kind of felt like I'm not ready to emotionally handle losing a client. Like That would probably just destroy me and mm-hmm. I would feel responsible. But I still wanted to affect change, so I decided to apply for an internship with the Tennessee legislature, mm-hmm. um, and I got accepted. That was really like my first look into politics and how bills and laws were created, um, but also seeing legislators vote against their morals because their party told them to. Yeah. Ten years ago, mm, that sounds awfully familiar to today, right? Uh-huh. And it's so much worse. But I knew at that point, like, this is something that I truly want to do. I just need to be a little bit older and more settled down. So fast forward a couple years, um, I moved to, to Utah for a short while. And I worked for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition as their legislative liaison. So it was my job to, like, head their policy team and write bills and testify in okay. committee hearings and, and work with legislators. And that really just refueled that passion for me. So when I moved back to Arizona, you know, I experienced some of the things that we've already talked about. And it was just like, this is unacceptable. For me as a considerably high functioning person and who for the most part has their, their stuff together, like I, why do I have so many barriers to receiving help? Yeah and protection and so I can only imagine what it's like for people who don't have the same type of background that I have. You know, Arizona is my home but it's not okay with me that we have not moved the needle forward mm-hmm. in in 16 years. It's just not okay and so I ended up moving to Surprise and Surprise or at least LD22 has never had a Democrat or Independent oh. um, elected. Yeah. So. It's been interesting, yeah. but I will be making history this year. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And what are some of the things that um, you talked about a little bit with your, your work in Utah that you could point to as, oh, I can use that eventually when I'm, when I'm running. <clears throat> and you talk about your experience a little bit in Tennessee. Yeah. What other things happened? I guess I'm trying to figure out where the little blips of experience that you're using to put together to now you have this awesome repertoire of skills and experience that now you can use to decide now this year that you're running. Yeah. Um, what are some of those other experiences? Um, so what are some of the experiences or like what are the tools that I'm taking into? Tools. Yes, okay. tools. I'm sorry. So tools. it's okay. So one, like truly being a social worker is, is a big help to that because our foundation is to meet our clients where they are and and that's where you and I were talking before we started about just being real, mm -hmm. right? And so politicians have this better than everyone else vibe, right? And, mm -hmm. and they're above in, in the hierarchy of things. That, that makes them disconnected from the people that they're supposed to be representing. Mm -hmm. And so in social work, again, like we're supposed to come down and meet our people where they're at and then bring them up together at the same time. Yeah. And, and so I think that's probably one of the biggest things is that I'm able to meet my people where they are rather than expecting them to come to me. Mm -hmm. um, but also all of the states that I've done legislative work in have been super red. Oh. And so I think that has given me a different skill set than many Democratic or independent candidates because I've done that work in specifically red districts, red states, and been able to work across the table like we aren't doing anymore for some reason. Yeah, that, like the table's been destroyed. Um, the table? What table? table? What table? <laughs> what room? And you, you talked a little bit about helping veterans in the community. What are some other things that... Um, when you made the decision to run, there is definitely at the forefront of, of what you want to fight for. For sure. Uh, I, I see a lot you post about education. Uh, what are some other topics, or if you want to go into those two as well? Yeah. So I have, I think, four, maybe five now platforms that I'm running on. Um, obviously, one is veteran health care and ensuring that veterans have access to community providers. Healthcare for the community as a whole, as far as like surprise billing goes, right? Um, Arizona is one of the few states where we don't prohibit surprise billing, and that's where you go to the doctor, mm -hmm. the doctor bills your insurance, um, and the insurance says, we're going to pay 200 of the $800. Right. Okay. And so then the provider turns around and sends you the remainder of that bill. And so we have a lot of families and in my district specifically, we have a lot of elderly who are choosing like, do I pay this medical bill that is going to later affect my credit mm -hmm. or do like I feed myself, do I feed my kids? Right. right. And that's just unacceptable. It shouldn't be that way. Um, everybody deserves access to quality health care regardless of how much money they make. Education in the sense that our economy is changing. It's not the same when you and I were in school or when the boomers were in school, right? Mm -hmm. Like we had um, classes like home ec and woodworking and welding automotive that gave us some sort of skill set um, when we got out of high school and we don't have those anymore. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that our economy is now entrepreneurship. Yeah. A lot of people aren't going to college anymore. Um, education is not um, the end-all, say-all like it used to be, right? And so people are like, well, why would I go to college and spend thousands upon thousands of oh, dollars yeah. when I could just be an entrepreneur and start my own business and make money? And so if we understand that, um, then that's what we should be providing to our students. How do you be successful in the new in the new economy, right? Um, and and as far as funding goes, there's all this talk about why where are we going to get money from? Mm -hmm. We have it. So a lot of people don't know that the Arizona Lottery provides um, monies to different state programs every year. Mm -hmm. So in the last two years, um, the Arizona Lottery gave out. Um, essentially $220 million. And $40 million went to three schools in, in Arizona, ASU, U of A, and NAU. Oh. No other schools. Yeah. Just those three. So why are we giving an additional $40 million to schools that have donors, funding, mm -hmm. in and out of state tuition, 
when we have K through 12 schools who are being shut down yeah. because there's no money, right? And mm-hmm. so the question isn't, well, where do we get money? Where do we tax people from? You don't have to tax people. We have it. We're just misappropriating the money. Um, and so I really want to hold our legislators accountable um, for the education that the Arizona Constitution says that we're supposed to be providing to our kids. Um, and then child safety. So, you know, I grew up in foster care and it's dangerous. It's super dangerous. Sometimes you're taking a child out of a home that they've already learned how to survive in and putting them in, in an even more unsafe situation, right? And Or moving them from home to home to home to home. Um, when most times we can just teach families those skill sets that they need to be safe and healthy mm-hmm. and keep them together rather than separating them. Um, and also then you had the county assessor, right? You had Paul Peterson who used his elected seat yeah. to, to essentially bribe and sell off children. And he's just the tip of the iceberg. And so what I want to do is um, start with DCS and basically dismantle it from top to bottom because there you have caseworkers who um, they get six weeks of training and and they don't have to be social workers they could be a historian or uh, somebody who has an MBA as long as they have a four-year degree Mm -hmm. they can go apply to work for DCS get six weeks of training and then they get to decide the rest of a child's life does that child live? Does that child die? Does that child get separated from their family? And that's unacceptable, right? And so if we're dismantling and starting fresh, and, and then we build a, a community oversight team of doctors, nurses, teachers, lawyers, social workers, uh, graduated DCS families who are holding DCS accountable, then then you have better outcomes, right? Yeah. You have, you have less families being torn apart, more families that are learning the skill sets that they need to be healthy and to stay together. <laughs> Frees up a lot of other money, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's another one. And then the last one is workplace violence. Um, over the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of men and women coming to me talking about you know, experiencing sexual and physical violence at the workplace yeah. and that there's no protection for them. You know, especially in a place where you're working in small businesses, the state only has control over essentially corporations, right? If you have less than a certain amount of employees, then the state no longer has control over that. And so what protection are there? I want to ensure that people in the state of Arizona and really all over have access to policies that are going to protect them because it's why would we want to go to work? And, and then be, you know, sexually harassed or sexually assaulted or, or verbally assaulted. Um, hostile environments, you know, data shows, like, that's stress, that's PTSD, and that declines our health, mm-hmm. and that shortens our lifespan. So if we as legislators can, can mitigate that and, and keep people safe, you know, why wouldn't we do those things? Those are my, those are my biggest platforms, I guess. Yeah. yeah. About when you started campaigning, so putting stuff out or, or signing up, I don't know how it works. Um, yeah. What has been the most difficult challenge so Dealing far? Dealing with the party. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty vocal about it. So I've had um, people within the county party talk okay. about, you know, you're black. Don't put your photo on anything. We don't want voters to know that you're black until after they voted for you. And it's, right, right, that same expression, (laughs) seriously, and it's like, first of all, you're telling me to be ashamed of the person that I am, which I can't change, Mm -hmm. Um, but you're also telling me to lie to voters. How are you in a leadership role? What a weird, Like, you you are now a part of the problem, you're a part of the oppression, right? Like, if if that's the mentality that you're in, you are no longer effective Mm -hmm. in in training the next generation. You are no longer effective in getting Democratic candidates elected because that's not, that's not acceptable. And so, like, that was just one of, you know, a few things. After, I think after that happened, 
Um, I came out publicly saying that I was the voice of the people, not the voice of the party. Mm. And partially due to that, but also, you know, if you remember back from when I first started almost a decade ago, that's where I saw legislators voting against their morals because the party told them to. Right. Like, that's really what started this all for me. And so I am the voice of the people. I'm not the voice of the party. And so they would go around and they would talk to people about, you know, Sarah shouldn't run for office. She's not electable. In other words, I'm not controllable. And you're absolutely right. The only people who have control over me are the people who vote for me. Yeah. That's my district. Those are the people that control me because I'm a representation of them, not anything else. And so truly, I think like dealing with a party and understanding like the inner workings of who they support, who they don't support, and how or why, like that has been probably like the biggest challenge um, other than that, like, it's really been, it's been a ride. Yeah. You know, like, there's a lot of things that people talk about. My district is a retiree district, so um, I'm very young compared to most of the other people in my district. The average age is 65 for my district. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And so, well, you're young. Like, what do you know, right? Or you're a woman, or you're a woman of color, or you're a woman without children, like, all of these different things, and it's just like... Yes, and I have this experience. Yeah. I have more experience than most candidates start out with, right? And so it's really just been talking about that. And it's beautiful because when I go into spaces now that typically people of color don't go to, mm -hmm. they automatically know that I'm the one that's running for state senate. And I love it. Yeah. I'll take it. Oh, because I'm here and I'm like the only colored person. You yeah. know that I'm the one that's running for office? Yes, that is me. That's Thank me. you very Hello. much. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's how you frame it in your mind and you just roll with it. I, you touched on it a little bit. How do you not get discouraged? Because if you're initially you come in and you go, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the Democrat. Then they're like, hey, don't do this, this and this. How does that not discourage you? How does that not? What do you keep in mind to? I mean, you, you talked a little bit about it by saying, you know, you're doing this for the people, right? Yeah. You're remembering that's who you serve. And yeah. I wish that's how it was for a lot of other people. It's hard. Um, I think the first couple months, the moment you announce your candidacy, your life is no longer your own. Mm -hmm. Your life belongs to the community. Um, and that's a hard transition from somebody who can decide, you know, well, I want to be private about this or I want to be open about this to um, having a bunch of outside voices come in and tell you, well, you shouldn't wear your hair like this, you shouldn't have this no color, maybe you shouldn't dress yeah. like that, you know, all of these different things. And the first couple of months, it was really hard. Like, I felt like I really, really was losing myself because I let a lot of out, outside noise in mm -hmm. because campaigning is very different than legislating. And all my experience essentially is in the legislation area. And so I didn't know what to expect in campaigning, so I let that noise come in. And, and I found myself just like rabbit hole, yeah. you know? And, and then I just kind of got to a space where it was like, you know what, I have to stick to my values. And my values are one, that I'm running for the people, but also I'm running to be true to myself. That's what I'm gonna do. If it doesn't vibe with me, if it doesn't resonate with me, I'm not doing it. And yeah. I don't care if people don't like that. Because unless you can vote for me, unless you can ultimately support me, it doesn't matter. As long as I'm staying true to myself and I'm being transparent with my district about who I am, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. <laughs> uh, where can people um, find you on social media uh, or um, your website? Yeah, so my website is Tyree, T-Y-R-E-E. 2020.com um, my Instagram is Tyree underscore the number four underscore Senate and my Facebook is uh, Ty Tyree for LD22 State Senate oh my gosh that's so exciting yeah I mean that's amazing um, and so I usually end the episode with a little more random <coughs> questions um, what shows are you currently into yes so I watch SVU. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. I watch SVU religiously. Um, I love Mariska Haggerty. She has done so much for the community, so much. Um, so I watch that every single week. 
Um, I do watch uh, Chicago PD, Grey's Anatomy. Obviously, I watch my anime shows every single week. Um, And I'm low-key waiting for the new portion of Game of Thrones to come out. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Were you happy with that? I didn't watch no. it. I saw all my friends were... No? Okay. It was super rushed. Like, yeah, you built you built up this whole story, and you built up Daenerys to be, like, this strong, independent, like, queen, finally, and then you... No. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not happy with it. Got it. Uh, would you rather be... Uh, never be stuck in traffic again, or never get cold? Never stuck in traffic. Ooh, yeah. but you know what? I don't like being cold either. I don't want to be stuck in traffic, though. That's the worst. Yeah. I feel like my... I'll be having a great day, and something can happen while I'm driving. That's it. So the day's over. Mm-hmm. Day's over. Every Everything. single light. <laughs> Every Why? <laughs> Every single <laughs> I left 30 minutes early. Why am I still late? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. How do you hope you'll change as a person in the future? That's a wonderful question. Um, I think every day I just want to be... I want to learn to be more and more sure of myself Um, and I think really to stay humble. I had like this kind of like epiphany over the weekend that, you know, I moved from a space of I'm always taking in knowledge to running for office where people expect me to be the expert in everything Mm -hmm. and I think that that kind of like took away some of my humility. I don't know everything. Yeah. I'm just a person and I can Google the same stuff you can, you yeah. know what I mean? And so I think I I wanna I wanna get to a space where I can remain humble and, and know that I'm not an expert at everything. Yeah. Uh, how should we measure the productivity of a society? Hmm. Um I, th- I don't even know how I'd answer this. <laughs> I think, like, it, it's, like, a multifaceted question, though, right? Like, uh, is our crime rate down? Are our incarceration rates down? What does the general health of our society look like? And not necessarily, like, oh, uh, unemployment rate is down because that's super skewed, right? You have oh, people yeah. who are working two, three, four jobs just to survive, mm-hmm. but nobody's in the thriving state yet and so i just feel like if we move to a space where um families can afford to work one job Mm -hmm. take care of their family you know do the things that they need to do and still thrive i feel like that's a space where our society is doing better yeah um what makes a good life i think it's different for everybody Mm -hmm. Um, what about you then? For me personally, I feel like if my family is good, their health is good, they're being taken care of, um, if things are relatively going positive for me and I'm not like hitting barrier after barrier, like cool, life is good. Like, yeah. I'm not being abused anymore in any capacity and like financially I'm, I'm stable and I'm doing good. So like, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last one, uh, would you rather have everything you eat be too salty or not salty enough? Mm, not salty enough. That way I can add however much salt I want. Because I feel like less is more, right? Less is more. That's like true. If, if it's now, less salty, then I can put however yeah. much I want. But if it's too salty, like, what am I supposed what to What if do? I throw in that no matter how much you add, it won't be salty enough? horrible i know what kind of life is that that's terrible that doesn't make a good life <laughs> it doesn't that's, i agree that was it um but thank you so much thank you for, uh, for being me. on yeah. i need to get on that anime you do yeah stop slacking i oh, no. mm-hmm. i came out publicly saying that i was the voice of the people not the voice of the party mm-hmm.